is a snippet from Enjoy Your Meal which is a song from Disney Junior's Emmy nominated series The Rocketeer. The show follows the story of Kit, a 7-year-old girl who finds out that she is next in line to become the Rocketeer, the town's superhero. Kit is also half Lebanese. The song is from an episode that explores and celebrates Lebanese culture and cuisine. Today we have the talented mastermind behind Enjoy Your Meal. Lela Milki is an award-winning Lebanese-American singer, songwriter, and classical pop pianist. Her music explores rich dualities in a contemporary pop alternative setting. Lela's artistry is centered around providing a healing platform for emotional and cultural empowerment. Her latest single, Fall Asleep, honors the strength and beauty of womanhood. and i love it we are so 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 excited to have her on today and pick her brain about using music as a tool to capture the nuances of what it means to be human you're listening to immigrantly i am your host sadia khan Let's start with your music, Lela. What's so cool about your work is that it feels like you're bringing classical back. And I may have mm. a very limited knowledge about different <laughs> genres, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like your music balances both classical and pop elements. Why mm. do you like to use more classical styles in your music? Yes, great question. I love that. That'll be my new tagline. <laughs> Bring classical back. <laughs> so, I grew up actually playing a lot of classical music. My foundation of music is classical piano. I started when I was 4, basically, all the way through college, um studying classical music and so a lot of my early and fundamental association with sitting at a piano is tied to the music of Chopin and Bach and Beethoven and you know all the classics and mm. then also tinkering and branching out from that on my own and so it was definitely a blend of learning these influences and the backdrop culturally and historically behind them but also I did a lot of uh, exploration I love to pick things up by ear and sit on the piano and just do my own version of improvising without realizing I was doing that or you know mm. coming up with little ditties and so both of those elements were always intertwined for me and so it's just a natural extension of that foundation to bring that into my current writing because that's the only way I really know how to write how do you reimagine it to sound fresh and contemporary is that even a goal for you Yes, I mean there's definitely a general goal, you know, that maybe even subconsciously because of the music I've synthesized over the years and and what I've gravitated towards listening over the years um in the pop realm which is such a massive umbrella to, you know, the just hmm. the general contemporary umbrella. I don't often actively think about the way my work will sound it's very organic and just an extension of who i am or where i am creatively in that moment and so 
naturally, because I do, I mean, I have a lot of love for pop music and um, have listened to those influences as well over the years. They just kind of happen. But I think the best way to honor tradition, and this also goes culturally as well, um, to honor and showcase that is to bring that into a more contemporary and accessible space. Talking about tradition, let's talk about Enjoy Your Meal. Yes. So Bo Black, who is the songwriter for The Rocketeer, recruited you to write this song because mm -hmm. they were going to make an episode about Lebanese food and culture. And you're a Lebanese American. What was your process of writing this song? In fact, let's take a step back. How did they find you? Someone I went to school with over at USC in Southern California um, in the music program is a film composer. And we just happened to be in a few songwriting classes together. And he reached out because he was mutual friends with Bo Black and he knew Bo was searching for specifically, which is so astounding to even hear that yeah. like such so niche down, specifically searching for a Lebanese or at least an Arab speaking or you know, songwriting artist. Um, and it was just like an extra bonus to have someone Lebanese or with that sensibility. And so for the first few years out of college and, and continuing to this day, I really showcased and, you know, I branded myself almost, although I, I feel weary of using that word because it truly mm. is my identity. Um, and it's it's strange to just view it as some some neat little box to check but it truly is effortlessly who I am so he knew of oh yeah Layla Milky the Lebanese American singer songwriter of Canis you know and so <laughs> he reached out my friend Leland from from college and um yeah and it was just over Facebook message just saying you know my friend is looking for a Lebanese artist who can help him on this track that he's developing for a TV show and I was like yeah sure and then later on he was like yeah I believe it might be for Disney <laughs> and oh, wow. I was like okay sure yes and you know usually when you hear these things or those opportunities come up it's never you know it always feels a little too good to be true or not directly for this Disney show it's like maybe you're pitching to the general theme of Disney <laughs> Huh. But um, yeah, this was just every single step of the process was simple and organic. And I connected with Bo and he just let me totally take the reins on the composition. The lyrics, which are all about Lebanese dishes, were presented to me. The showrunner actually wrote them. And so for me, if the lyrics are already present and I just have to create the music around it, it, it just makes my job so much smoother, of course, because um, the music always sort of comes first for me anyway. And yeah, and then I just sat at the piano and came up with, with what you hear today. Yeah, and I got to sing it on the episode as well, which was so special. You know, it's a beautiful song. How do you write music that will appeal to kids? Oh, yes, that's a great question, because he specifically said, he was like, I know this is kind of strange or counterintuitive because it's a kid's show, but we want the song itself not to be limited to, to children, um, to ah. just appeal to the mainstream, just have it be fun, upbeat. And, you know, he pulled in some examples of Arab pop, which was funny to me because I was like, oh, yeah, of course, I, I'm very familiar with all this music. <laughs> I grew up with it, which is great because, you know, that's why it was such a match made in heaven, so to speak, because I didn't even have to do that prep work. 
since it's a part of me, which is really a testament to how important it is to bring in these perspectives and these narratives from the source in mm. representing these cultures. Talking about food and culture, Leila, we asked you to tell us about the intersectionality of food and music mm. in Lebanese culture. And you graciously shared your conversation mm -hmm. with your cousin, Mariam, about the importance of food and music within your culture. Here's a snippet of your chat. I was born and raised in California and really only experienced Lebanon as a visitor over the years. Although when you have that experience, it's just so deep rooted and you truly, because of our culture and the way it's so deeply intertwined with our behaviors and how we've been raised on yeah. the music and the traditions, you feel it that much more vividly. And living here is similar in a sense to experiencing that like summers for a month mm -hmm. where like food <laughs> and music and they're such a huge part of our culture that you experience them on a daily basis even if you're not on vacation you know you're never gonna walk down a street in Beirut and not hear music blasting from somewhere and then the like smell of Naish or you know it's just the way life is it's inherent wherever you go wherever you live every Lebanese person it's just part of them there's not going to be a party with no tabouli <laughs> or you know there's not going to be a gathering without that just sensation and feeling of being connected right back to your roots and to that table back home with your grandparents so it's something you carry everywhere in the same sense music is very similar Like I know some of my friends who live uh, in Canada or Australia and their kids have never been to Lebanon, but they can sing so many Lebanese songs that I don't even know. Yeah, and clap along. It's just incredible. Oh, I remember, Leila, you, you were like that, Kamen. When you would come to Lebanon, you'd have memorized so yeah. many of the songs, even though you live abroad. So I think this is the way that our food and music are connected in a way that we just carry them with us wherever we go they're a part of us and throughout the years millions of Lebanese people have left their homeland so these are the two things I think that are now all over the world it's our form of patriotism and, and keeping yeah. our culture close to home and because those things are such an important part of our identity it, uh, it's really a gift for the immigrant experience I can see how you're bringing food and music together because as I was listening to that conversation, I felt like that's the kind of conversation I could have with my cousin mm, as well, yes. right? Same elements of music, food and identity. Both of you describe it so beautifully. But mm. what are some of the challenges you face in integrating those traditions with your American identity? So growing up, you know, because it's just in your household and not only did my parents speak the language with us, which I'm very grateful for today mm. that I have the Arabic language, but, you know, the recipes, just like in this Disney episode, honestly, the way it's represented is it's just passed down from generation to generation. And it's the simplest and most vivid way of keeping our culture and family alive and close to us. Mm. Um, and so... 
growing up, you know, when those things are given in your household, my mom would cook a lot of traditional village kind of Lebanese dishes. We come from the northern village area, Kura in Lebanon. My brother, my younger brother and I would never question it. It was just what was, you know, <laughs> given to us essentially in yeah. our We'd have annual trips to Lebanon where that food, I mean, we always had such incredible associations and excitement around that food. But there was still an element maybe at school. I, I attended a French-American kind of bicultural school for a while, for 10 years growing up. And even in a close-knit setting like that, that celebrated multiculturalism, I still mm. felt like I had to hide that part of myself a little bit. And I know that's a common experience, but right. there was this sense of shame a little bit or embarrassment because the food was clearly different. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think I necessarily wanted to bring my own lunches mm. to school and have have even begin that conversation. Um, I don't know if you've seen, you know, my big fat Greek wedding. I have. <laughs> um, yes, of course. It's like, the, of course, we've all seen. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, in the very beginning, you know, the moussaka, like mousaka, that whole conversation yeah. um, where she brings her, you know, her her home cooking to school and gets made fun of. Um, it was never quite that explicit, but I still felt this weirdness and maybe shame around exposing my home culture um, because it just wasn't that represented. And mm. especially in like the post 9-11 era, um, I didn't necessarily want to be associated with that. These days, you know, food, there's a very different association around it. Now I will showcase every element of my culture. I, I not only is a, a beautiful and exciting thing to share, but it also kind of sets you apart. It's it's what's unique to you, and um, because there's there's a very difficult relationship that children of immigrants and especially of the diaspora and the Lebanese diaspora specifically a difficult dynamic that we experience. Um, because Lebanon is going through its worst economic crisis. Right. You know, it's unprecedented and exponentially aggravated by the pandemic and the Beirut blast in, in the summer. And, and really, if I spend more than a minute dwelling on it, it's, it's, a, it's a rabbit hole and it's truly devastating. And mm -hmm. um, But there's this strange, invisible kind of weight to be carried and burdened, knowing that we as immigrants have this absolute privilege of being removed from it enough and, and not having to even experience a, an ounce of it in real time while also knowing that that is the backdrop. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and I know my cousin Mediam and I talked about how food and music are, they're an outlet. They are the representation of the beauty and the spirit mm -hmm. of the Lebanese people. They are, you know, the Lebanese people themselves were... You know, we're a people of, of joy and hospitality and warmth and celebration. And so really elevating those elements outside of the country as well is our way to honor it and really retain hope and beauty in the face mm. of darkness. Leila, do you experiment with cooking and have you added different elements of other cultures into Lebanese cooking? Yes. Yeah, so interesting question for myself. I'm not much of a chef. I, I really get the basic things done. Oh. And really, <laughs> over, the last, over the last few years, when I visited home, I've been a lot more of a part of my mother's cooking process. She's quite the, quite the chef, quite the experienced chef. And 
it's interesting because it is such a culture of, you know, home cooked meals and these really meticulously prepared meals that, I mean, they just can get done in in no time and not even think about it. Um, And with that process growing up, I was never really a part of of the kitchen because, and I think this is a common experience too, uh, the cooking is just like, uh, our parents just want to serve and, and, you know, be generous and devoted. And so with that comes this sort of like, let me do this all for you. Let me pamper you. It's it's just a given. Um, (laughs) And it's, you know, even in saying that, it's like, that's a massive luxury. But at the same time, there is this level of, I've had to do a lot of catching up myself into my adult years because all those things were just, that was the way as, you know, love, as duty and and service and and devotion. That's how that sort of translated. (laughs) I think growing up with this Mediterranean sort of style of eating with the plethora of dishes and flavors to choose from as a standard, I I think that that's really uh, a gift because it opens you up to to experiencing that in other cultures. And it overlaps with so many other cultures too, right? Exactly. Today's podcast is presented by Podco. Podco is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast. And I'm so excited that I discovered it as an indie podcaster. It allows me to monetize my podcast with a flat rate. And so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podco. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's Podco go.co at p-o-d-g-o dot c-o and be sure to add our podcast immigrantly in the how did you hear about podco section of the application let's switch gears a bit i want to talk about your work again yes now you're a fantastic lyricist your lyrics tackle universal themes that anybody can relate to. But you also address social issues, in particular, the experiences of being a woman in today's society. Mm. Lela, how do you write lyrics that provide commentary on such an important topic without making it too serious? Mm. How does it translate into your music? Mm -hmm. Another great question. Um, And something that as musicians and songwriters being so introspective and you know self-analytical and also empaths generally because we Mm. have to be or or, you know I I don't know if it's like the chicken or the egg you know (laughs) I think at all time (laughs) we think about that a lot because of course the most profound thing to communicate and source of possibly resonating with the listener is pain and translating pain and and true vulnerability into your work. And that's why so many people latch on to artists as almost role models or a place to to be seen or to be heard. Mm. And in order to do that, there's just a certain level of vulnerability you have to accept and truth that you have to communicate. And I think if it comes from that raw space, even if the lyrics or the music aren't too explicitly about something, you know, about a very pointed experience. Um, Hmm. I think if it comes from that place, it will translate, it will hit even just musically or sonically. And I think that's sort of how I approach my music. And, And for a time, you know, 
college and beyond were really my my years of tackling songwriting for the really for the first time in that way and I think I would try to hide behind more vague or symbolic lyrics and and really kind of pour myself into the music as an escape but to not actually confront certain themes because culturally and also you know familially um, and to the present day there's a lot of shame and guilt and confusion tied to tackling you know these topics and so I was very nervous honestly leading up to the release of, of my latest single Fall Asleep because it does stem from a more personal place and and addressing my experience of early adulthood and young woman kind of navigating my independence for the first time in a brand new world and confronting the haze, you know, the limbo of that situation. Because as daughters of immigrants, uh, I think this is a common experience as well. It's been difficult to to really commit to one thing without feeling like you're betraying the other. You know, that's that's hmm. constant push and pull. And so I think even just that theme is tackled and represented within my work as a backdrop that even if the listener doesn't necessarily know exactly which story I'm referring to or what I'm talking about just having that be the context is enough and and that's that's what I've found What are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned from allowing yourself to be vulnerable through fall asleep? Fall asleep to me really represents a departure um, and captures where where I'm truly at and, and the person I'm stepping into. And making these connections, understanding and contextualizing my past experiences with a new lens. Because honestly, I, I wrote fall asleep back in college it's one of the songs I've been holding on to for several years because it's the writing process was in the immediate kind of raw aftermath of an emotional event that I didn't realize I I was fully processing and now having years of experience um, and a little space from the immediacy of the emotion has really been a an interesting place to to come from with this release and now there's a lot of strength and empowerment and opportunity for connection and growth from your vulnerability and I think Mm. it's really it is the ultimate strength you know and especially coming from a culture that teaches us to not be vulnerable and as women to people please not only as kind of this golden standard of Mm. of kind of like stifling our sense of, of self and assertions for the sake of keeping the peace It's such a profound conversation and what you're saying. And I hear you. Mm -hmm. I've talked about this so many times on my podcast. Mm. Have you reconciled with the fact that you are navigating two cultures and you Mm. said something about betrayal? Mm. Have you come to terms with the fact that it's okay to sometimes move away from certain norms and traditions that were basically drilled into us. Oh my gosh. I mean, it's been such a journey and I think Mm. it really is inevitable and ongoing. It's something we're just going to have to balance throughout our lives. Um, It's not going to disappear because in that complex and painful, confusing space, what intensifies the confusion is this deep sense of loyalty and love for where we come from and honoring Mm. those value systems and family. And that really just... I think that is why it's so intense for so many of us, because we can't just detach ourselves completely and we don't want to do that. Exactly. 
I think the most valuable space I've entered into in, in helping alleviate the burden of that is gratitude, you know, and I know that's a little cliche, but also realizing that it is truly a gift to have these different cultures embedded within our identities and our experiences in life and the freedom that comes along with that to choose, you know, to pick and choose the elements of each and kind of synthesize them into our own version mm -hmm. of, and our own sense of selves. That's been the most freeing realization. And, and it does take some active work, of course, but that's where I really feel the most quote unquote whole and, you know, celebrating and showcasing this nuance and not keeping it hidden, not keeping the struggle of it hidden and using art almost as a, a freeing outlet to express that while still honoring that. What does contentment look like to you, Lela? Contentment, the, uh, the ongoing quest for, for contentment, yes. I think it really is the freedom to explore and express yourself and your full sense of individuality and independence while holding on to the values and the and the people and the relationships who you love and and hmm. having all of those elements coexist in a really honest space and a layered space with with you know an awareness of the layers if that makes sense you know hmm. you don't want to hide or suppress I was stalking your Instagram page <laughs> and I saw that you love the TikTok phenomenon that is Bridgerton the musical. Yeah. And for our listeners who aren't familiar, this is music that was composed by Abigail Barlow and Emily Bear, who wrote <laughs> basically a musical score for the hit Netflix show. He is grace, he is beauty, what a face, I can lose myself. And then they shared it on TikTok, which then became a sensation. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. <laughs> so isn't it amazing how the process for creating and sharing music has rapidly sped up thanks to platforms like TikTok? Mm. How are you utilizing these platforms to share your music? I mean, that sensation specifically of the Bridgerton musical, it's not even about Bridgerton itself. It really is a shining example of something taking on an entire new life form and reaching mm. the masses because we're all witnessing the process and the creativity in real time. I think that's yeah. so thrilling about, you know, what Abigail and Emily are doing because they, throughout the entire writing and composition process and recording process of all these songs, which are brilliant, by the way, um, yeah. they've been live streaming it. So we've all been watching it quite literally live unfold in real time. And that's something that's really inspired me. And especially in these days when we're all still navigating the pandemic and we've all been you know, in this general kind of meh languishing state. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm referring to this term that, that I really learned about this past week. There was a New York Times article by Adam Grant about languishing. We're just in this, this general space between and not really feeling 
a sense of excitement or purpose yeah. while we're in this yeah. state and it's so common but experiences like that really are life sources and are sources of feeling connected to a greater purpose and vision so for me I am gearing up to record my own material and realizing like you, you kind of have to reimagine the entire process right now because of mm. this new standard of really showing your work and showcasing the process and its incompletion because that's what people latch on to. So um, I would love to do more of, you know, showing little snippets of things I am writing or, uh, you know, sort of testing the waters that way, because the new format is you show a, not even a full finished product. You just show a huh. little piece of something. So pe people feel connected to it. And then they, based on the response, you know, you, you can gauge what is resonating and then you record those things in completion. And then suddenly people are that much more aware of your music and excited for the release itself and rather than in the past when they hadn't heard it at all. But do you think it's scary because you're sharing something so raw mm -hmm. and that's still evolving um, for people to comment on or give feedback to? I would find it really scary. Definitely. It's definitely a vulnerable thing. You know, you're putting yourself out there. And if you yeah. were talking to me maybe like five years ago, I would be terrified to do this. <laughs> and to this day, you know, because um, it truly is like you're sharing a piece of yourself. It's like a diary entry almost to do that. Right. But that is that much more powerful. And that's what you know, not only for the listener, but for me as an, you know, an artist, I guess, so to say, yeah. I'm on the, the constant quest for deeper meaning and purpose. And that's right now what feels like the most immediate way to possibly access that. Now, obviously, that also comes with its own, you know, baggage. And I, I've heard from other, you know, TikTok musicians and creators in general right now that there is this extra layer of, of pressure because of yeah. the immediate expectation to whip out some like great quality content and, and you know, become content creators when <laughs> we were never really <laughs> meant to do that as, you know, as songwriters and, and artists in general. That can be an extra pressure and and I, it really has messed with my head honestly sometimes because we are honestly just like depending on this mysterious algorithm whatever that right. even means that's so unknown and rewards certain demographics and not others and it all feels very arbitrary and we're so prone to just looking at numbers and letting that color our entire opinion of something right off the bat and I know I do it too and so that really gets in your head when you're just trying to stay true to yourself and, and stay focused and creative. But then there's, yes, there's definitely this, this extra pressure that is a lot to balance. Right now it's about, I think the ultimate stability is finding a way for all these extra areas that I do still value. Um, and they are a part of what I do, not kind of take the reins on, on my career, but just, you know, the, my artistry should be at the center. Um, I yeah. want that to be my my identity and priority and then all these other elements to kind of hover around it and feed my artistry. So talking about your artistry, what are some of your future projects that you're working on? Mm -hmm. And what does trajectory look like for you in terms of your mm -hmm. work, say, for the next year or two? Yeah, so most recently I... Um, I made the difficult decision to quit my long-term four-year teaching job. Um, oh. I, I, you know, I've, I've been conducting my own 
private lessons and have private relationships. But in addition to that, you know, um, I've been going through a school and an external system and really had to, it felt like an extended breakup with children, like one at a time and families. It was, yeah, very, it's sad and bittersweet, but of course everyone was also so understanding and supportive. Um, But I'm pretty much in the direct aftermath of having my entire schedule kind of open up in that sense now i'm i'm in the restructuring period and almost my intention with that was to really feel the sense of urgency and and drive to create and now now yeah. i'm like in this okay let's get into this tinkering space let's almost to prove to myself like okay we did it we made these difficult decisions we confronted all these realities now i just want to know how it feels to you know explore record on my own and I also am sitting on a lot of original music that I haven't recorded over the years that I have been informally putting together as a full-length record in my head for so long mm. that and now that I have a, a deeper sense of self uh, both you know as a individual and an artist I'm ready to put together this more full-length project while also sharing snippets on the interwebs you know all that <laughs> So tell us, where can people find your work, Lela? I know you have an Instagram that I've mm-hmm. been stalking. So can you share your <laughs> IG with us? Is there yes. a website people can go and check your work in addition to your Disney song? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so IG and Twitter is at Layla Milky Music. It's L-E-I-L-A and then Milky is milk with an extra I. <laughs> um, <laughs> and my website is just laylamilky.com. Um, and then, you know, you can find all my original music and recordings on all streaming platforms, Spotify, Apple Music, you know, Pandora, etc., whatever people listen to these days. Anrami um, <laughs> is a big one in, in the Arab world. Um, so I'm on there as well. And yeah. And in the end, so this is one question that I ask all my guests and I mm. want you to answer it as an artist, as a Lebanese American. How do you define America? in a word Mm. or a sentence I'm sure a lot of people because it's true have (laughs) said you know complex and nuanced because it definitely is um the word that instantly comes to my mind and I know it has more negative connotations but elusive maybe a little deceptive Um, because of course there's such a sense of America as this emblem of freedom and you know all these morals and and opportunity you know that's the narrative that we've been fed especially as immigrant families coming to America and so that is important to recognize but it definitely has skeletons in its closet and we're we're just now I think more as a mainstream culture starting to tackle um, these systemic issues that are just so truly deep rooted that we haven't even many of us, you know, who aren't afflicted by having a more marginalized identity. We haven't mm. had to confront on the daily like others have. And now I think there's a lot greater awareness of the not only imperfections of America as a symbol, but also that we are growing and we just are evolving because we have no choice but to And so, yeah, I would say elusive and, you know, ever evolving. (laughs) That's so true. Love it. Thank you, Lela. This was so good. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure and an honor to be here. I absolutely love this podcast and I appreciate all that you do.
I could basically listen to Lela for another hour. She has such a sweet voice and her conversation to me was so poetic. Don't forget to check her music. She's an up and coming artist. She's doing so well. Um she's done so much at such a young age. And until next time when we have another guest, take care.